Welcome to the Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. My name is Nikki, and I'm really happy to have you as a listener. Uh, today's guest is Katie Willard. Oh, hey, what's up, guys? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a roaring start, aren't we? Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like that I start. thought so. Thank you. We're laid back on this Sunday morning. <laughs> um, so, Katie, you are an agent of craft. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I um, started working for craft a very long time ago indirectly. I did in college. I was in a sketch troupe called Those Aren't Muskets. I went to UCSD, um, which is UC San Diego for your folks who are not from the California area. And uh, I met in my fall quarter, my winter, or no, no, my winter quarter. Oh, fuck, it's early. My winter quarter, my freshman year of college, I met Michael Swaim in a costuming, like, practicum class, which essentially <laughs> is like, they make you do this when you're a theater major at UCSD. You have to do two quarters of two different tech aspects, right? So um, you you take a little class once a week, and then, like, twice a week uh, for a chunk of time, you're pretty much unpaid slave labor for them. Like, uh, So I did um, costuming, and so we'd just sit and sew buttons on things for, like, four hours. And I remember sitting there and, and Michael across the table from me and thinking he was so funny and he made me so nervous. I was, like, so afraid to talk to him because he was just – he wasn't, like, an asshole or anything. He was very nice, but I was just, like, so scared and, like, oh, he's so funny and I want to be funny and, and make him <laughs> laugh. And um, then the next year he had written and directed a cabaret, like, a, a small student show called Olympus, Inc., which uh, was an office, a play set in an office, but all the people who work for the office are, like – characters from Greek mythology. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really funny, and it went over really well. We had, like, huge crowds every night. And, and you were in it. crazy. Yeah, I auditioned for a part that he had written for a friend of ours. And um, I'd been really, like, down and out because I, like, had been auditioning for every, like, big show at UCSD in my freshman year and just, like, pfft, nothing. Like, no callbacks, no nothing. I was sitting here going, oh, my God, I'm going to a school for theater, and I don't know if I should do it. And I was, like, <laughs> freaking out. And then on Facebook, they sent out a um, a message about, like, oh, there's an audition for this play. And so I auditioned, and I ended up getting the part, and I met – Michael and then a bunch of other people in those aren't muskets people who ended up being my roommates my junior year of college like one of those it was kind of a crazy grouping smattering of people and then uh, after that he asked me if I wanted to do those aren't muskets which was a sketch troupe that he had started with his best friend and creative partner Abe Epperson who was like in video um, production and kind of that sort of thing at UCSD and then uh, cracked up kind of their partnership happened where they premiered one of our videos it's called Internet Party, which was, like, I think the first premiere that they had ever done for a video because they were only, like, columns and, and writing at that point. And then uh, I just started doing sketches for Muskets, and that, then they were on Cracked. And then I just remember I graduated early from school. I graduated two quarters early, and I was getting ready. It was the fall of my final, you know, year. It was my final quarter of school, and I knew I was moving to L.A. Like, I would made that decision. But I had nothing. I had no job lined up, no, like, place to live. It was just, like, completely up in the air. And um, I remember I was just sitting, and I got this email. And I look, and it was Michael saying, hey, 
Dan O'Brien and Jack O'Brien. Dan's a, a senior editor, and um, Jack is like the editor, uh, the editor in chief of Cracked. They've created this series. It's like four people sitting around a table talking about pop culture, and I'm floating your name around as a person who will be in it. And I just remember it was so out of nowhere. Like, completely out of nowhere, and he... But you guys were friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But, I mean, I was so... Go go show you. You freak out so much about this stuff. Like, half of the amazing opportunities that I've had, more than half, probably 75, 80%, have been completely out of nowhere. Like, (laughs) completely out of my control. Um, And so then I moved up. And I worked for the census, and I did a bunch of weird shit. I sold uh, security alarms door to door. That was awful. I did it for six days, and I was like, I'm out. I can't. Oh, that's the worst. I can't do it. Um, Go, going to somebody's apartment or house where they're like, like they don't want it. They don't want you to be there. No, it was really scary. It was kind of a <clears throat> weird thing because they were, they would drop. It was all scripted. Like everything was on a on this it was an exact script and you couldn't go off the script you had to say like they they you had to go right back to the script if they asked you a question you essentially had to ignore the person you were trying to sell this thing to um and then once we like had all the script down which was easy for me because i did theater so like i already was like okay i can figure this out they drop you off in a neighborhood just like when like downy like a bunch of like weird like out and like out of nowhere and they'd at five in the evening, you'd, you'd start off at the office, and they'd take you in cars, the managers would. So you didn't even have your car. And then they'd – I should have just – red flags everywhere. I should have just <laughs> – um, they drop you off in a neighborhood at five with nothing. They don't want you to take your cell phone, your purse, nothing. Oh, my because God. they don't want you, A, to, like, be on your phone instead of, like, going out there and selling. And I guess they didn't want you to get, like, mugged if you're walking around alone with a purse. I don't know. <laughs> so they drop you off, and then you'd be you'd have one side of the street that you'd have to well, like stretch that you'd have to go down until nine at night. Oh god! And then they'd pick you up, and I was like, I just got door slammed in my face. People were awful, and then one day it was pouring rain, and we had umbrellas. But like fucking, if you're walking around for four hours in the rain, even if you have an umbrella, like the the hems of your pants are wet, and you're like cold and I just was sitting on a corner crying, like, on the curb, because I was so, like, miserable, and I just had someone just be like, like, open the door, and I'd start my spiel, and they'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? And then just slam the door, and I was like, I can't handle, and I'm sitting there crying in the rain, and one of the managers drives by, and he's like, he goes, Katie, get in the car, and I was like, okay, and he goes, don't tell our boss, like, I don't remember what our boss's name was. Don't tell them that I'm doing this, but I'm going to drive you to the diner around the corner, get some coffee, get some pie, you know, get dry, and then come back, okay? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I sat there and had, like, a dinky little piece of pie in this shitty, like, restaurant and drank a cup of coffee and came back and was like, I'm going to do this. I was like, got a fire under my butt. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell some alarms. <laughs> and then the next day I woke up and I had no voice. And I, uh, or was losing my voice, and then I went to work, and I'm using quotation marks, and, um, yeah, I was walking down the thing, and I couldn't, I couldn't speak, like, I was trying to do my spiel, but my voice was gone, Aww. and I asked Dina, who was one of the managers, I was like, 
I found her. She they drive up and down the street to make sure that you hadn't gotten like raped or murdered, I guess. <laughs> and um she pulled over and I was like, I can't I can't work today. I, my voice is gone. And she's like, Ugh, fine. And she picks me up and drops me off at a jack in the box and leaves me there for the next like three hours. I have no phone. None. All my stuff was in the other car. Oh my gosh. And then on the drive back to the office that night, I was like, I'm done. Also, it was a hundred percent commission. Ah. So I hadn't made any money. There was like six days of unpaid training, and then that thing. Then like actually working, and unless you sell something, you don't make any money. You're like the third person I've I've heard from recently who was selling security systems door to door. One of them was Gian Molina. Really? And he did it. I think it was a Compton. He got he got somebody. Like he opened the door and a guy had a gun, gun to his face. Like, would, I'm done. You know what? It's probably the same company. And what I found out is that they changed the company changes their name like every six months, which is creepy. Mm. I think it was B and D was what it was called B and D when I was there. And uh, yeah, and then it was really weird because then after like a month after, the boss who was like this creeper, like very hot shotty, is like, <laughs> I sell, I make so much money. Look at my nice car. Blah blah. blah. Called me up and he was like, do you want to come over and watch Lost? And I was like, no, I don't. (laughs) I don't want to do that at all. I don't want to be anywhere alone with you. (laughs) And then I, uh, yeah, then I I just quit. And then then I started working for the census and doing after hours at night and doing sketch for cracked on top of after hours and so then so you moved here you were selling alarms uh not making any money i'm sure nope uh doing a census and then working at night at craft yeah I, I did or on the weekends it was kind of because my my schedule was when i worked for the census my schedule was not flexible at all because um, i was a crew leader which meant that I was in charge of, like, a group of 15 Ooh. enumerators, and they're the ones who go door to door. Um, but I just remember sitting in that, like, the training and them going, if you work now in 10 years when it's the census again, you'll be in a better spot to get a better job. And I was like, if in 10 years I'm still needing to work for the <laughs> census, I'm going to shoot myself in the face. The census is a great opportunity, believe me. And what it does is great, believe me. But, like, I just – I. It got to a point where it was interfering with, like, me being able to shoot and do things. Yeah. And there's a point at which you have to go, like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. Like, I I, I came to L.A. to do this, and I, I can't get caught up in doing what I don't like to do just because it's a job. You know what I mean? How long How long were you working with them? With the census? Ah, probably, like, four months. I mean, it's a short. It's pretty, they have, like, little, um, little in LA In L.A. Like, time, four months is, like... Four months is an eternity if you're working at a shitty job. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I <clears throat> luckily, I've been very lucky in my day jobs to always have, except for working at Urban Outfitters, because fuck that place. But uh, <laughs> every job that I've had, there's always been a, a girl that I've worked with that is, like, the complete opposite of me and that I get along with really, really well. I've always worked close with that. Like, um, the first job I worked for in the census was this girl named Lizette who was a Latina activist who went to UCLA and she was really awesome. She's from the area that we were, you know, we were enumerating and she was really great and we were co-crew leaders together. And then um, the second job I did, which was called NARFU, everything's acronyms in the census. It's non-response follow-up. So for the people who don't turn in their census, you have to go door to door and like bug them about it. 
And uh, my crew leader's assistant for that was this girl named Tiffany. who was really awesome. She had grown up down in, like, the Jefferson um, West Adams area. <clears throat> and she'd worked at Starbucks and was helping to, like, helping her mom pay her um, mortgage. And she was just, like, this really cool girl. She drove me around, like, Baldwin Hills and Ladera Heights and, like, told, taught me about the neighborhood that we were in. And um, she's now a bus driver for MTS, apparently. I Yeah, I haven't, like, seen her. It's a, that's the thing that sucks about it, too, is when those jobs end, it's, like, because we don't have anything in common, even though we did hang out and, like, really get along, when you move and jobs end, it just kind of your lives go from being a Venn diagram to, like, two completely different, like, separate circles again. Does it kind of bother you a little? Like, yeah, it's you're like, okay, well, I... Hmm, bye. Yeah, I mean, it's no fault of either of us. It's just kind of the How way that it, it is, you know. And that's the thing about the comedy community is, like, you see people all the time in L.A. You know, you see them at every different venue, and you see them multiple times a week, and then they kind of, you, you're just used to, even if you don't take the time to, like, call and be like, hey, let's hang out, you'll still run into them and still have them in your, you know, in your kind of general vicinity. Yeah. Know? But, um, yeah. I want to ask you, um, so, so when you, uh, when you saw Michael, you, you said, you said that you wanted to be funny. Was there, were you, were you a funny kid growing up? Um, I made my mother laugh, but that's not (laughs) a barometer of anything. Well, you know, I, uh, my parents got divorced when I was two and I grew up with my mom solely. Um, my dad never had, no, I'm an only child, which is very obvious. If you meet me, um, <laughs> actually, technically, I'm not an only child anymore because my dad and my stepmom have two kids. Mm, that doesn't count. My baby brother, who's two, and my baby sister, who is seven months. And my dad is a big old, an old man dad now. Um, but my mom never, and I think it's kind of a fault of hers, but also awesome. Is she was a single mom with a daughter. She, she would just, I we were always kind of on equal footing. Like, she was always still my mother. Like, that's what I love about her, too, is she was never trying trying to be my friend. She was always my mom, first and foremost. But um, she would do shit. Like, I, I remember all my friends, they would sit in the back seat of their parents' car when they would pick them up from school. And I always sat in the front seat, even before it was, like, safe. Like, because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because my mom would get, like, lonely. Like, she liked having me in the front seat to, like, talk to and hang out with. And so I remember one day, like, after school, I got in the back seat, and she turns around, and she goes, what am I, your chauffeur? <laughs> Get in the front seat of the car, and I was like, okay. But uh, I love making my mom laugh. It's just an awesome thing. I mean, even if, if it doesn't take a lot to do it, it's it's fun. Like, um, I'll dance for my mom. There's a very specific silly dance that I do, and I'll do it for my mom, and she says that when I do it, I look exactly exactly like my dad like I somehow have managed through like DNA (laughs) to like have the same dance moves as my dad to like make her laugh because she told me that once when she was pregnant with me she was having a really shitty day I think she was like eight like nine months like she was about to have me and it was hot and she was like just miserable my dad comes into the kitchen and like tidy whities and just starts dancing for her to make her laugh and she peed all over the (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I was a boisterous and, uh, loud and dancey theatrical kid. Cause I was like, I was, um, an only child. So I'd play by myself all the time. 
and just be in like a box in the backyard, like having the best time ever. And um, I danced as a kid, so I like I did competitive dance and burned out like crazy because from the time I was seven to the time I was twelve, I was dancing, you know, in class or in practice or at competitions like every all the time. And I think that actually informed how I handle having a full plate of stuff to do now. You know what I mean? Like working 40 hours a week at a job and then having, you know, meeting for sketch stuff, meeting for rehearsals, meeting for shows, practices. Um, I just kind of learned how to deal. Like that's where I thrive is when I'm booked solid. Mm -hmm. Because if I have all the time in the world, I won't get anything done like ever. But um, it wasn't until high school that I started – actually, no, I take that back. (laughs) Saw – no, sixth grade. I think it was, is 99 when SNL had its 25th anniversary special. Yes. I watched it when it was on the TV and I taped it from the television because I was like, I just started getting into SNL. And this was back when in comedy, like on Comedy Central, they'd play it all the time. Like pretty much yeah. any time during the day they were playing SNL. And it was before E got the rights to it and don't they don't play any of this stuff anymore. Um, and I just remember like falling in love with it. And um, my friend JoJo and I, we would like do ske- like do sketches over and over again. And when was this? Like this was like sixth, sixth grade. And um, then I just lo- I fell in love with Gilda Radner. Like she's my my like multi giant hero. <laughs> I love her for forever and for always. And she's definitely been. I feel like a lot of what I do is like very similar to like not similar but definitely inspired by her. Um, and then getting into freshman year of high school, I started doing – I was very lucky because La Jolla High School had a great improv team that was already going. Like, it had been a couple, like, three years old. And um, it was short form, and I loved it. And I just, like – I did drama, and I did improv. And then I started working at the theater that um, sent out the teacher at the National Comedy Theater in San Diego. Yeah. And um, I started working and doing tech and house management for the theater. I did that for, I think, like five years from high school through to um, through college and um, doing their college team and just like really getting into improv and then getting to L.A. and doing long form and feeling awful about myself for (laughs) so long. How long have you been here? I've been here two and a half, two and a half years. Okay, you're still a baby. Yeah, I haven't been here that long. <clears throat> I'm just trying to get through it <laughs> without like too much. I'd say I'd say you're doing pretty well. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like I, uh, there are a lot of high schools who do improv, but like I went to a high school that had an improv team, like. But it was very, like, short-lived, and I was way too scared to do it. I was like, like, whose line is it anyways? I'm not no. like, Oh, my God. New choice. Uh-huh. New choice. Poop. It's always poop. <laughs> um, but that's, So that's cool. Like, you got to have that experience, like, as a kid. Do you feel like that benefited you, like, now? Or do you think that either way you would have been, like, you would have been in the same position I think it definitely, definitely helped because um, in Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours thing. You can't master something until you've done it, practice it, or perform, you know, done it for 10,000 hours. 
which is why the Beatles were so amazing, because in Germany they were playing, like, eight-hour shows, seven nights, seven days a week or whatever. And by the time they came back to England, they had already had a year's worth of, like, years and years and years worth of performance in such a little amount of time. Yeah. Of course, it would be creative. And uh, I think that doing improv, because improv at La Jolla High was actually super popular. Like, we'd have a show a month, but the show, we'd have, like, a, we had, I think, like, a 600-seat auditorium, and it was almost full. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, that, that people would come, and it didn't matter who, like, the, the football jocks or whatever. People would come because it was really fun, and it was something very different, you know? And um, I think it wasn't Les Mis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't. We weren't doing, uh, what did we do? We did uh, A Piece of My Heart, a Vietnam <laughs> we did uh, Five One More in the Same Dress, which was great. That's an Alan Ball yeah. play. Um, cabaret, which was far too inappropriate. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. I was Helga. You know, I'm like a father to her, so when she's bad, I spank her, and she's very, very, <laughs> very bad. We're in, like, lingerie, and I'm, I think, maybe 18. I'm, like, not even sure, which is just, like, suspect to begin with. Um, but I think getting up on – like, having that practice – you know, having practice once a week was grounding and meeting for the club meeting and then doing the shows. And then also, you know, working at the theater, just being around a lot of improv. But like I said, short form and long form are two completely different beasts. But I think what short form did for me was allow me to be more confident and comfortable on stage. So that when I started long form, it wasn't my first time ever on stage. And I also did a shit ton of theater, yeah. you know, in high school. So I already understood about projection and, like, confidence on stage. That's a huge benefit to people in improv. If they've already had, like, even just a little bit of theater experience, like, oh, okay, the basics. Yeah, like, stage, yeah, about pantomime and about, like, facing the audience and speaking up and, and being clear. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny how those little things really do make all the difference yeah. in the world about whether or not, because if your audience can't hear you or understand you. Yeah. You can be saying the funniest thing in the world. they have no idea what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Okay, so uh, so your mom was your mom a funny person or was she's funny inadvertently? She doesn't <laughs> do it on purpose. Um, well, that's the mom, best kind of funny. My mom's super interest, like just I don't know, she's really introspective and and very sweet. Yeah. Like she's very kind and sweet and very <laughs> supportive. She's like unfailingly supportive. I, like no matter what I did, regardless of whether it was comedy or bioengineering which would never happen, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, she just would always be behind me 110%. I think, like, the 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 humor comes from my dad. Um, my mom's really funny, though. She, But, it, but like I said, inadvertently. Um, and, yeah, my dad, he's, he's got, I have his, like, anger. <laughs> and, but I also have his humor, which is great. You know what I mean? Like, that's. I read your uh, I read your blog about that about your your father. Was it the Father's Day one or was it the uh, my relationship with my dad for Slackless? I think it was my relationship with my dad for Slackless. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was an interesting thing, kind of writing it, um, because my dad is very. I think he gets super self conscious about like his actions and and what he's done and and I I went and visited actually like a month. Now, oh, a couple weeks ago, I went to Oklahoma City to visit him and my stepmom and my brother and my sister and my grandma. And uh, we were driving back from Norman, where he lives with my stepmom, back to Oklahoma City, where my uh, grandma lives. And he, we don't talk a lot. 
and I, and I, it's not a I don't always equate it with like a bad thing. I just think it's a we both have two completely separate lives and we care about each other, but like we're both not good at we're both out of sight, out of mind people. Like if he's he's doing his thing and I'm doing mine, and we just don't yeah like talk or whatever. And uh, he asked me, he was like, are you, I feel like, or do you resent me for something? Like, we had a nice talk on the car. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't, I'm not mad at you. I just, like, we do two different things. And, like, I, I, I'm guilty of it, too, so I can't be mad at you for anything. Yeah. And then I read him the piece. <laughs> and uh, he, well, first he was correcting certain details that I had gotten wrong about dates and places that we were at or whatever. <laughs> Fuck you, Dad. He was like, well, you know what? Well, because that's the thing is he is a uh, he is a newspaper reporter for the Oklahoman. Mm. He covers mm. crime, uh, but he's a sports writer at heart. And um, he finally is doing what he loves and getting paid to do it. Like, it took a long time. Um, and he went back to school when he was, you okay there, Nikki? <laughs> wow, you just squirted that water all over your face. Oh, that's cool. FYI, I am going to get video of your little dance. Oh, yeah. So be prepared. I'm going to do my dance. <laughs> um, yeah, but he, you know, he went back to school when he was an adult. It took him 25 years to finish college, um, but he finally did, and I was super proud of him. Um, but I read him the piece because I just wanted to explain it. I think it adequately explained to him how I felt, which is that, like, yeah, our relationship is not perfect, at all actually really flawed but I kind of like that because so many times people they hold their parents on a pedestal of like once they have kids they're parents and they can't do anything wrong and I like the fact that like shit happened and I know that my dad's a human being and he's trying his hardest that actually makes it more special yeah yeah when I read it to him he was like I think you might be a better writer than I am (laughs) which for my dad is a huge compliment (laughs) Do you ever, do you ever try to impress your dad, or is it just kind of like, if it happens, it happens, yay? Oh, uh, yeah, I try and, I mean, that's just, I think, a thing that's hardwired for a kid of, that, of divorce that doesn't see the other parent very often, mm-hmm. is like, they do want to make their parent know that, like, hey, look, I'm doing things and I'm successful, and I think he is so proud of me, but I, I think he just, there's a disconnect that he doesn't understand, like, I'll put up a video, on, like a video will be put up on Cracked, and I'll be like, Dad, it's a new Katie Willard experience. Like, it's my show. Like, watch it. And I'll call him, like, a week later. Be like, did you watch it? And he's like, no, I haven't had time. I'm like, Dad, it's a five-minute <laughs> video. You can, like, put it on while you're making your coffee. You know what I mean? And uh, it's very interesting to me that I've been doing improv, I mean, short form, too, included, for almost ten years now, and he's never been to a show, an improv show of mine. Mm. Which, I mean, I don't care who you are, that still kind of sucks. And even if he's not yeah. doing it in, like, a shitty way, it still is, it, it does affect you in some way. So I think a lot of what I do is is kind of hopefully, like, hey, maybe he'll watch it or, like, be, which is so sad. I'm making this podcast so sad. No, sad um, away. Yeah, but, it's like, it's it not does. all about the, the chuckles. The chuckles. It's about real, real shit, real hard shit, <laughs> real gangster shit, like feelings. Um, well, that's where that's where the best comedy comes from is from real feelings. So. Real feelings. Yes, it is true. Ground that ground everything in reality. Right. But uh, yeah, it was a nice visit with him, and I feel like he's he's starting to understand what I do and how important it is to you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because it is when you decide to pursue comedy. I think a fair amount of parents are like, okay, so when you're done trying to do this, yeah, 
like let me know what what you're gonna plan on doing. But I'm lucky because my mom. I remember when I told my mom I wanted to be an actor. Uh, when I was I think in my sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school. I went, mom. I was like really nervous. Well, I don't know why because my mother has always been supportive, regardless of what I've chosen to do. So I don't know why I was afraid. So mom. I want to be an actor. <laughs> and she goes, oh, Katie, we never thought you'd be a doctor. And I was like, oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> That's great. But anyway, I think it was one of those things that, like, she always just assumed I would go into some sort of performance, like, thing, whether it be dance or, or theater. It's, uh, it's, it is a scary thing to say, like, I want to be an actor. Like, I, I struggled at floor for a long time. And even after moving to Los Angeles to be an actor, I would still, fe- like, just tell people, like, Oh, you know, I'm here to do comedy because, like, if I, I felt like it was better to say comedy, comedy I than it was to too. be an actor. I don't know what that's about. I think it's because there are so many, there are so many actors in LA. There are a lot of comedians, though, people in comedy too in Los Angeles, but it's a smaller pool, so you don't feel so like. But then I realized I'm like, I just got dropped by my agents, and part of me realized like, oh, you know what? I think I'm a comedian. Like, I think my focus is comedy. I think, yeah. which is kind of different. You know, is different than being an actor. I'm like. Oh, okay. I'm doing comedy. That's why I'm here. But you do you do something really great in your comedy. Like all of your videos, like you have some, you have like a, a reality about you, which is great. Uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you feel about how do you feel about this phrase? Uh, I don't know if you if you saw this um, on Tumblr. You use it profoundish. You know that user. Mm-mm. He said, Katie Willard's videos are legitimately Vonnegut material. Who they- the fuck's, where is this from? <laughs> this is on Tumblr. Somebody somebody wrote an entire entry about your videos. <laughs> they all deal with slight tweaks and fictions that bring them crashing violently into reality. Like, no joke, somebody wrote an, an oh essay my God. on how your videos are like Kurt Vonnegut. I have never seen that ever. Well, that's very kind of him. <laughs> um, that's. I mean, that's, wow. I, you know, I can't take all the credit for Katie Willard experience, though, because um, it's, all the episodes, a lot of people think that I've, I write them, and I have not written an episode yet. I've written one that is getting workshopped for this next batch, because I, I'm fear, man. Fear is so strong. <laughs> I, um, I always consider myself a writer, but I wrote for myself, and I wanted to start writing like sketch and it just scares the shit out of me like i still can't i still won't tackle an episode of after hours on cracked like i everyone has written one except for me and i just it's a it's a i'm not confident enough yet to do it and it's sad that that's what's holding me back from that but like it it after hours is a complicated show yeah you know it's it's essentially four essays they're interwoven into dialogue. So there's all the research and the knowledge that goes behind finding four different arguments for anything in pop culture. And not only that, but then they have to be interwoven into snappy dialogue with jokes. Yeah. It has to be funny, and it has to be written in the four different voices of the four different characters of Dan O'Brien, Soren Bowie, Michael Swain, and myself. So, so each episode is one person writing the whole episode? Essentially, yeah, what'll happen is they'll have a pitch meeting and they'll they'll pitch ideas um for episodes, so like, oh, I want to do a Star Wars episode, oh, I want to do a Harry Potter episode, something like that. And then they kind of like flesh out basic, like very general basic arguments, and then one person will go and take it off and write it, and then they'll come back, we'll have a writer's meeting, 
a read through in a writer's meeting and and I've done like I help with punch ups and stuff like that like, yeah. in, in the room. Um and then we go I think we go away and come like there's some little tweaks then go away come back for an animation meeting where we read through the script again and figure out where in the script we want animations and what we want them to be and those were the funniest conversations we were like <laughs> Yeah, I think I should – there was one, I think, in the last one where um, Michael is essentially fucking the piggy bank from Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. And so we were trying to come up with what the funniest visual would be, and we we were, like, arguing over whether or not his, like – Michael should be, like, fucking the pig from behind or whether or not he should, like, fondle the 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 coin hole in the bottom. <laughs> like, that's, like, the kind of conversations that we have with, with the animation media. <laughs> what, was your, uh, what was your argument for that? I think I I wanted the like the the fingering the the coin hole I think was what I I did my favorite animation still and I was really proud I think I was the one who uh, really pushed for this but um so we were talking it was the commercial universes episode which is um yeah. talking about how women in this beautiful world women only menstruate blue windshield wiper fluid <laughs> and uh, so. The animation, I was like, okay, what if it's a car driving, it's out the front window, and then you just see these these legs just slide over the window, and then like a squirt of blue liquid on the on the windshield, and it made it in, and I was so <laughs> happy. Um, but yeah, no, that it. So we're sorry, I went on a tangent. No, but, that's great. Um, yeah, no, I'm ready. I wrote uh, a sketch that's gonna be on Katie Roller Experience, hopefully soon when we start shooting again, and. Um, and then it's produced by the Natural Disastronauts, which um, are actually two of the three of them are people I went to college with. Oh, Katie cool. Stoll, um, who is awesome, and then uh, Daniel Vincent Gord, who's <laughs> the handsomest man you will ever meet. <laughs> so attractive. And he's amazing and funny and a great actor. Um, but, yeah, they, they produce – and then Daniel's brother, Will, who's a great director and DP, and they, they produce – Katie Willard experience, along with a guy named Kevin Best, who's a friend of theirs who just kind of joined the group, and, and James Kalen, who is kind of a grip slash everyman. And uh, it's a fun set to be on, definitely. Yeah. Cool. I like it. Um, that's uh, interesting that you, you say that you're afraid to, you're afraid to write. I'm getting better. I mean, <laughs> I'm, there's yeah. a lot of pressure. The the videos on crack.com have a huge fan base, and like, uh, I don't. Do you ever do you ever go on and like read the comments? Or do you? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Yeah. Um. When we first started doing, when I first started doing stuff on crack, I did read the comments, and I remember Dan O'Brien going like, "You can't, don't fucking read the comment." He was like adamant about it, but I go, Dan, I'm gonna read them. Because I want to know what people think of the sketch. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it devolves into really shitty stuff about the way I look in both directions. Nice stuff. Nice, and I say that in quotations. Nice stuff and, like, just awful things. Like, when we first started doing After Hours, I had short hair. I was styled a little differently. And all anybody could say about me was that I was a shrill hag. I was a dude in drag. <laughs> All sorts of shit. And it was funny because there was one user who said, like, um, it was the very first episode, the Back to the Future episode. And a guy goes, you know what? I wish Marty McFly could go back in time and make sure that this girl's parents never had sex so that she was never born. What? 
And I was like, wow, that's oddly specific. And then I went, ooh, you should not bring my parents into this. Sure enough, my mother got a craft account and went on to the comments and replied and was like, she goes, my daughter is a beautiful young woman and she is so talented. And you know, you are an awful, awful person. I'm like, mom, no, you're making it worse. He's a troll. He's just doing it to like piss people off and like get a rise out of people. And she was like, just like, and then they went back and forth her in this awful commenter for a while. And, um, I don't, the ugly thing, I mean, like, if anyone, if you get told, you know, if there are specific things about said about you and you, that you're just like butt ugly, it does hurt. But I've gotten to a point where like the fit, like, people have their opinion. They can say I'm not funny. Mm-hmm. That's their opinion. They can say I'm ugly. Also their opinion. Okay. That, that doesn't bother me. But that recently, we did a great video for Katie Willard Experience that I'm so proud of because it's beautiful. It's um about a pudding company. Yes. That um pudding company that I win the lifetime pudding mm-hmm. like contest, and I'm eating so much pudding that they're going out of business because no one can purchase their pudding because I'm eating all of it. <laughs> And it's done, it's shot beautifully, and there's a montage in it that's like an homage to the Hudsucker Proxy, which is awesome. I don't speak in the video. Let's just get that, like, in this video, I have no dialogue. Um, and I'm also not in it for that often. I'm just kind of, I'm interstitial, like, eating my pudding. But your face is great, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but someone on the, I mean, I, it baffles the mind. I said no things. I said nothing. In this video, and the trolling was just, in the comments, was just ridiculous. Uh, at some point, one guy goes, says something shitty about me. Uh, and a bunch of people, like, responded, like, oh, don't be an ass. Like, why the fuck are you being an asshole? That sort of thing. Which I love, because for all the bad comments, there are people who are always going to jump to my aid, which is lovely. But then he responds, no, 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 no. She's ugly, annoying, untalented, unfunny, with no taste for fashion, etc." Fine. That's okay. He, that's his opinion. Maybe I don't dress the way he likes. Whatever. I don't when care. When it's a video. Right. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, But this is the part that pissed me the fuck off. He goes, from the behind-the-scene footage that I've seen, which, first of all, is a, it's a lie. He is making, there's no behind-the-scenes footage of anything anywhere, I think, for Cracked. Like, at all. Um, so he's just lying, which I hate. Uh, and then he goes, uh, from the behind scene footage that I've seen, I have it on my phone, uh, she's also a bitch, psychotic, and ungrateful. Why are these people keeping her cracked? What? And that hurt my soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if I am anything, I am supremely grateful every single day that I wake up and get to do this. And so for someone to say that I'm ungrateful, it's like, and he's such an asshole. He's just a fucking, he's an, just an asshole. And he's doing it to get a rise out of people. Yeah, because a lot of people really like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's funny because in my, in my immediate, you know, circle of friends and family and, and people that I know, none of those things are, they, no one thinks that about me, I would hope. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't, it's a very weird thing in the comments because it, it, I, a lot of it doesn't get to me anymore, like the physical, like the physical stuff is whatever. But that like bummed me, bummed me out, and it goes to show you, like you can do this for however long and develop a fairly thick skin, 
but it's just there's still some things that'll even if he's just a troll even if it's just dumb like he's just a dumb dude who's trying to get a rise out of people and um yeah i don't know it's uh, what i have liked about working on cracked the good thing about the commenters is it has caused me to develop a fairly thick skin for the sort of like ugly comments and the the unfunny comments and all that shit it just is kind of going oh okay i'm used to getting that thrown at me in some way or another yeah. i can handle it a little bit better that one just bummed, bummed me out because i was like i'm grateful i'm not a, i'm very grateful i'm grateful <laughs> every day i'm grateful for the sun i'm grateful for my house i'm grateful that's my gas in my car i get that impression from you i mean you literally said earlier <laughs> that like all of your opportunities were kind of like yeah, given to you, like out of nowhere, kind of like random given to you. But you still work hard. Uh, well, yeah, I do. You but still that's try. Like, that's my my mentality <laughs> is that I'm always like, I uh, I never feel like I'm trying hard enough. Mm. And it's really rough because I, you know, I'm I have all of my friends are amazingly talented, doing amazing things, you know, and like it, even if. They are older. They've been here longer. Mm-hmm. I still do hold myself to those, those standards. You know what I mean? Of like of of working constantly and and of being successful and doing this for a living and supporting themselves on it. I still do judge myself based on like where I am and as a barometer of that, which is very unhealthy. It's not because mm-hmm. I have to realize that like I am going to go at my own pace. Yeah, I'm going to do what is comfortable to me. And like my big thing is I always like, get hard on myself for all my – like everybody at Cracked is multi-talented. Like just uh, can edit, can do Photoshop, mm-hmm. can write, can act, can play musical instruments, can do After Effects. Like you can do everything. And I can't. I can't. I can – perform and i'm starting to get into you know starting to write more you're like, a very talented writer thank you very much oh, i really yeah. liked your i liked your article about your dad i thought that was very well structured oh and, thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> but like that's the thing is is i i would i would be really down on myself <laughs> you know what i mean because i can't do all those things yeah and 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 i'd be like well do i really want to learn photo like is it is it like a nagging to thing to learn photoshop and i'm like well not now and then it's like okay well that's not what i'm supposed to be doing right now you know what i mean like i just gotta go at my own pace and there's this woman that my mom and i love her name's florence scoville shin (laughs) she's a metaphysician from the 1920s she's got a book called the game of life and how to play it which is kind of from that whole big like think and grow rich it's it's all in the same kind of time period yeah and uh she says this thing there is a place a thing that you are to do a place that you are to fill that no one else can fill i'm paraphrasing but essentially that like Whatever you're doing is exactly what you need to be doing, mm-hmm. and it's only when you try and do have like the same success or the same pathway as other people that you find that you're not getting anywhere. Yes, and I think Joseph Campbell talks about. Oh God, I'm getting on one of those people. I think Joseph Campbell talks about how if, <laughs> when they were going to find the Holy Grail, they set all the knights on different ends of the forest, and they had to cut their own path to find the grail and if they ran into someone else's path like onto an already trodden oh, I really use that word trodden path then they had to go try and go their own way because that 
they would not lead them to what they needed, which I kind of like that visual, like with a machete. Yeah, because <laughs> I've had machetes, right? That's yeah. the thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I fucking love that somebody referred to your sketches on Cracked as genuine Kurt Vonnegut yeah. material. But no, I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. Like one of the best things about craft is how it's how it sounds intelligent it is. And it's amazing in the world of the internet where like the things that become popular are these like geared towards these like preteen, like teenager, yeah. like, you know, dick jokes and bombs exploding. And you have cats. <laughs> You've got this beautiful site that like like breaks down the world. And you're a part of that. I know. It's very, it's, the Crack fan base is insanely amazing. They're super loyal. And what I love about Crack is you can go and read three articles and be far more educated than you were when you started reading. Like, just inter- you just learn interesting things. And what I love about the videos is that they're always really intelligent. Yes. Even the ones, you know, that are... I don't know, that have, you know, or or sexual or whatever. Like, even it's just everything has that 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 um, intelligence to it, which I yeah, appreciate. Filter. Yeah. Smart filter. Yeah, like um, Cody Johnston from Cracked, he does this video. He's done one episode, and I think they're doing another one called Wonders of the Science. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen Wonders of the Universe with Brian Cox on the BBC? He's like this yeah. scientist who is very, he's Welsh, and he's, uh, I think, and he just is very, like, all right. This is mama, mama, you know, and he just is very like very uh, even keeled and and very. He's just like a young scientist or whatever. And Cody is doing wonders of the science, which is like <laughs> a parody of that, and it's so funny. It's just because it's it's taking all those tropes of this kind of science show and making it nonsense, like that that like the the what the science is is nonsense, and um. Not only is everything written well, but it's just shot. You know, like everybody we have on our team is is just DPs and and, um, editors, and it it just is awesome. I mean, it's a small team. I think in total, uh, the video production team is in a cave, and it's like Michael, Cody, Abe, Adam Ganser, who's our producer, um, and then Dan writes, and Cody. Did I say Cody already? Cody and... um, then some of the you know a lot of the writing staff kind of do crossover. They write articles and they also write um, sketches and things. But it's just like it, it, the quality of like to see from Internet Party to now, like what Abe is shooting and how it's edited and things like that is just like it's a beautiful kind of progression of growth to see that. I want to talk about the past, individual past again. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind like? Like, because uh, I, I understand that mentality of, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't do all of these things. And, you know, you start, you compare yourself to other people, and you think, like, wow, this person is so multi-talented, and, like, I can't do any of that. And then it's like, oh, I wasn't interested in doing any of that. Yeah, it's this weird jealousy <laughs> for things you don't actually want to do. <laughs> yeah. But then you probably have these skills that they don't have that allow you to kind of like um like a I I view people skills as just as important as like a technical skill because then yeah. it's like oh I've got the people skills to be able to get these people to come and do this, this thing, thing for me yeah. that I can't do yeah I mean it's like it, it, I can tap dance I don't think anybody else can tap dance <laughs> I got that going for me 
but no, it's, it, it is, I'm a big proponent of, I love meeting new people mm-hmm. and I love making friends. What I hate about Los Angeles is this networking thing because it's so dishonest of like going into a conversation with a person and your sole objective is to work with them to make that like, like, but work with them in like a way to propel yourself forward. I don't like that. I like just being friends with people. And then like, that's what happened with, with cracked and with, with those aren't muskets. As you know, I did one sketch and then, and then, you know, these people became my friends and then they just wanted to, wanted me to be in more things. And I love the environment of working with your best friends. Yeah. It's the best, it's the best thing. You know what I mean? Like it, and, um, yeah, I do find that just, I don't know, just being honest and hanging out with people you really like and if you find like you know chances are you'll find like-minded people as you and and they'll you'll complement each other really well in terms of skills that you have and things that you want to do and who can do what you know and uh I may not have filming you know may not be a DP or I may not know how to edit but I have me I have who I am and what I bring to the table and my performance and like mm-hmm that have value sort of and that's that's just as important and i think that like that people think that because they can't do a million things or because they don't have any like that that sort of technical skill that they're not as valuable and i think that like i don't know i don't think that's the case and but i'm not what however i'm not saying i think you go to school for engineering right yeah. you go to college for engineering and then you get an internship where you're at an engineering firm and then you graduate and you get a job as an engineer and you're constantly learning and you're constantly putting what you use, what you've learned into practice and you're learning new things and you're getting practical experience in that area. So many people in the art, like with arts majors or English majors, they graduate and because it's, it's not as, as much of a straight path to get to a career they don't they get a job doing whatever and then they don't realize that you need to continue your education like that yeah. edu- because just like every other career, you know sort of career you have to continue your education and like whatever that means for you so like maybe someday I, do, I will want to learn photoshop <laughs> that's a dumb example but like you know maybe I will and I I know how to yeah. edit on iMovie and I'm fairly okay at that you know what I mean but like as of now I'm like focusing on writing and and growing out that part of my skill set, you know. Yeah. And that's okay. That's like it's fine if I take it slow. I'm gonna go at my own pace, and that's gonna be that. My next step is I bought an electric guitar and an amp, and I'm going to learn how to play that. <laughs> and I'm going to rock really hard. But for now, I'm really busy and I can't do it, and that makes me sad. But I can't be mad at myself. Can you that. sing? All right. I think <laughs> I'm not tone deaf. But uh, I've never tried this. I love karaoke, but I've never tried to uh, write my own music, so that might be something interesting. Just so you know, you have just opened up a door. You have no idea. Yeah, I know, right? Karaoke door. I love karaoke. I love I karaoke. karaoke. My, uh, my ex and I, we used to do um, our karaoke go-to was International Players Anthem by Outkast and UGK. <laughs> um, I got a thumbs up from Leanne on that one. Uh, he would be Andre 3000 and Bun B, and I would be Big Boy, and 
God damn it, what is it? Sweet Jones, I'm just choosing that up. I can't remember what the second for who sings the second for, or raps the second verse of that, but that was me. So like John would do the the acapella part, and then I'd be like myself standing there on stage, and then I just come out with my bitchy choosy love without a rubber. And uh, that always got that was always fun. I yeah I love I love karaoke. My go-to is "Gimme Gimme" from Thoroughly Modern Millie. I'm a yeah. musical, musical theater. I'm like I'm that asshole at the bar who's doing Chicago. It's like everyone's like yeah, living on a prayer, and I'm like I dreamed a dream in days gone by, <laughs> and everyone's like I gotta now's when I'm gonna go pee. <laughs> Yeah. So what's what uh, what's the future? So you're working on writing right now. You wanna you wanna mm-hmm. improve that skill set. Like, what's your? Do you have like a specific goal? Like something that like this high reaching goal amongst your other goals? You know what? For a long time it was that I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and still that's like in my mind. That's a thing in my brain. But now as I'm getting to this point, I know a lot of people who have friends who are writing for SNL or Mm -hmm. auditioning for SNL and hearing them talk about what it does to your life. (laughs) Cause I'm all about life work balance. Like I, I, I'm, if that's out of whack, I I can't, I can't function to the best of my ability, which is actually why I quit drinking. But like the, the people, people who work for SNL, that's such a weird schedule that is not, that's not, there's no schedule like that anywhere else in television. You really don't have time to to be with a per like date anybody. Your life is that, and while it is totally awesome, and you can and it can really be a launching pad for your success. Like you, if you think of the percentage of people who have been on SNL that have done SNL and and they're not done really, you know, like they just yeah. can't haven't done much else. And I mean, it's to each his own. But like, I don't know. It just seems like for me, I don't handle that sort of stress that well. And um, I also don't like staying up late. <laughs> I mean, I like, you know, getting sleep and, and so I don't know. I mean, like I, I, if I had an opportunity to audition, would I? Of course I would. And whatever the universe has in store for me is exactly what I need to do. But um, I don't know. I Pretty much my goal at this point is to be to solely write and perform and be able to live comfortably yeah live like be able to support myself and it's so funny because people are like well that's like not all that ambitious and i'm like it's really fucking ambitious because like it's hard that's a hard thing to do like a like and to just to enjoy what i'm doing and so far i mean i said that's what i'm trying to do is just hustle it's because that's what you have to do i'm i'm young at this point that like young enough that you just this is what my life is going to be devoted to yeah, is performing and writing and getting out there and doing shows and meeting people and, and, you know, just keep writing, writing, writing. Hustling. Hustling. Yeah, it is. It's true. Like, the people who are, are willing to put in that, that legwork are going to build a nice foundation for themselves. I used to think that was a bad phrase, like, oh, like, hustler. And then I had... um uh, Brandon Johnson, who's on... Uh, I love yeah. Brandon. Brandon's so- Majid's cousin, and that's how I met him. <laughs> I had an amazing conversation with him about, like, about 
following your dreams. And yes. Success. He's, he's such a, he's such an inspiring person like that. And he was the first person to make me feel really good about like, oh, you're a hustler, aren't you? I was like, oh, I don't want to call that. He's like, no, that's a good thing. That's a good. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, you're yeah. doing what you got to do without being a douche. I don't, like, I don't view hustling as douching. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the opposite, the opposite of that. It's like making those connections. That's yeah. like how I feel. Brandon's funny because I, I told him, Brandon is a very, for all you out there, if you don't know, he's a very sharp dresser. Oh, yes, he is. He wears a beautiful suits and like he's always really put together and I like, I saw him a couple days ago. Oh, yeah. he's uh, Brandon Johnson from NTSF SD SUV amongst other amazing, amazing things. things. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Brandon, I was telling uh, I was telling Nikki this earlier is that I bought grown up clothes. I went to the Gap and I bought a new <laughs> nice new two nice new pairs of pants and a new button up shirt and two sweaters. Um, because I'm working a day job that pays money and for the first time in my life I'm not like super poor. Um, and I was like I'm so excited. I told Brandon I was like I bought new clothes and he was like Yeah. He goes You do that. Yeah. You, <laughs> you wear them like because he, he's all about that like your brand and your per in yourself is like so important and you need to know who you are and feel good in your skin. But back to the thing about hustling and I don't know and not. It's rough because I recently made a decision. You know, I was in a relationship and and I wasn't and to no fault of the person that I was with, I was not able to. I felt bad about going and doing shows and, and, and meeting with practice groups and, like, being gone most of, like, going straight from work to rehearsals to practices to shows. And it's not his fault. It's not his fault. You know what I mean? Like, just people have different needs and different levels of what they, they need to be happy and comfortable. And, like, finally I got to a point where I was, like, what I'm doing is not good for this relationship but it's something I need to do. And as you get older and farther along in your career, I'm sure you get to a point where you, you can make that decision to pull back on, on to concede some of your hustle for yes. the sake of a relationship because you're already established and, like, doing all right. But, like, right now is it's, it's a key point in my career where, like, I need to just keep going and keep pushing. Thank you to Katie Willard. You can catch her videos at Cracked.com or UCBComedy.com as part of the UCB Beta Team Muddleberry. Special thanks to Leanne Bowen and to you for listening to the Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe and leave a comment. Tell me who your Comedy Girl Crush is and I'll try to get her on. I'm Nikki Urban. Keep crushing it.